My name is Andrew Tan, and this is As Asians. Every episode, we talk to a different awesome Asian professional, covering topics such as navigating careers, the Asian identity, and ways on figuring out this thing called life. We hope the stories and advice from this podcast can inspire and help you to chart out your own path. Today, we talk to Sydney Chang, an operations associate who broke into the beauty industry as a history and politics major. We talk about her experience in beauty, how you might need to be a pessimist to be in law, and having empathy for the future. We hope you enjoy today's conversation with Sydney Chang. Alright, welcome back to another episode of As Asians. Today we have Sydney Chang, who is working in the beauty industry as an operations associate. I'll let uh, Sydney introduce herself. Hi everyone. Um, thanks Andrew for the intro. Uh, I'm working currently as an operations associate at a skincare company. Uh, we're a pretty small operation, um, considered an indie beauty brand, but it's called Crave Beauty. And I've been working here for about two years now. Um, I started off in customer service, you know, was doing some uh, community slash marketing uh, work and then naturally kind of just transitioned into ops. But it's been a lot of different kinds of work. So I'm really excited to talk about, you know, how I even got into beauty um, from college and I guess uh, what I like about it and mm-hmm. the company, yeah. Yeah, I guess starting out, so you mentioned you, you got started since college. Uh, what did you kind of major mm-hmm. in, in college and can you give a bit of background there? Yeah, so it was nothing to do with beauty or business at all. Um, I was at, uh, majoring in history and politics, so dual major. And I'd always liked, you know, those two, uh, two areas, like since a young age, I always liked reading and writing and learning about new ideas, being that kind of like intellectual. Um, yes, academia was always really important to me and I enjoyed it, enjoyed Mm -hmm. it. So that was something I'd naturally, uh, fell into during college. Um, and I was very heavily considering law school. Um, I took my LSAT my senior year of college, and that was the route that I had envisioned myself going on. Um, not, it was more that I didn't know what to do, and it mm-hmm. seemed like people in my field were going towards law, or that was one of the more lucrative or prestigious uh, career paths. And so that was the the road I was planning to go on. But I remember in like fall semester of my senior year, I really strongly questioned that. Like, is that um, really the? Am I ready for that level of commitment financially, just time wise? And I wasn't sure. I couldn't, you know, come up with three strong reasons why I really wanted to be a lawyer. And so, you know, I still wanted to give myself that chance. So I, you know, studied for my LSAT and took it. But um, on the side, I was looking for new internship opportunities or just ways to get my foot in the door um, because I knew with my background, it would be very difficult to get um, a job straight out of college that um, I would feel fulfilled in or even just maybe proud of is a better word. Um, so I wanted to to set myself up for success. And so I, I really heavily started applying to internship opportunities my uh, spring semester of college, of my last semester. And I just happened to get an internship opportunity at Crave Beauty. And yeah, it's all, all history from there. And <laughs> that's how it started <laughs> and uh, been with them since. Yeah, so it sounded like you managed to land that internship with Crave Beauty. And you mentioned that kind of like an indie beauty mm-hmm. uh, cosmetics company. How does that, how do you get that opportunity? Um, so actually I was, this was my, uh, what is it? It's, uh, January break. I was visiting my friend in, at NYU Abu Dhabi. It's like another campus satellite, satellite campus of NYU. And I remember telling her, I was like, I really want to get something in beauty. Uh, I need to apply <laughs> to opportunities. Like, mm-hmm. can I take out a couple hours in my day? Can we just like go to a cafe and I'll do some work? Um, so I was like desperate at this point. I knew if I missed this window to get something in, in the spring, it would be really hard. So it's just, you know, on LinkedIn, on job boards and all of that stuff, um, on NYU's career portals and stuff. So it was just something that came up. I'm not even sure where I found it, um, but I found it, it was a pretty easy, like application form like on google forms so oh. i was like yes definitely going to apply to this one and <laughs> um i ended up you know talking to the marketing manager as part of the first screening and then um, with the ceo afterwards and it was a pretty 
you know, seamless process. And later on, you know, the marketing manager told me you were actually one of the last applications that came in. Like, oh, wow. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't even going to consider you, but you know, your academic background was strong and I, you felt like you were competent. So yeah. And I, I just felt really lucky. Like what are the chances? Right. And this is a company I've been with for some time now. So I uh, couldn't have predicted it. Uh, and mm-hmm. when other people in a similar situation, like I want to get into beauty, ask me like, how did you do it? I was like, it was a combination of just sheer like volume. Like I need to get myself out there. I need to put in the time, but also a lot of luck. Um, and that's something I can't discount here. Yeah, I think that's that's a great insight. Definitely you put in the work, but you kind of made your your own luck, right? By, mm-hmm. by putting mm-hmm. in the volume, you, you set yourself up for those lucky opportunities and that landed you where you are right now. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Like most of it is just preparation and hard work and the rest is just letting letting things be <laughs> the way they are. Good luck, yeah. Um, and I know you mentioned, like you also managed to talk to the CEO. I, I took a look at the website. I really like the clean design of Create Beauty's mm-hmm. website. I'm a dude, yeah. so I don't really understand <laughs> the products. Um, yeah. But, but those like, uh, yeah, the founder, Leah, Leah, how do you pronounce? Leah. Leah. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I took a look at her YouTube channel as well. Like, it seems like she has mm-hmm. a pretty good following. Um, was that something that you considered when yeah. you looked at the opportunity and when you had conversations with her? How did that go? Yeah, so that's a great question because I I grew up like not grew up, but in college I would watch her videos, um, just because oh, I loved oh wow <laughs> yeah so like she would do skincare I was more like into her makeup videos and I've been planning and wanting to go into beauty into color cosmetics so things like mascara blush, uh, foundation like those kinds of things rather than skincare, mm-hmm. um, but as soon as like I learned that this Crave Beauty was her brand. I was like, oh, I guess it'd been a while since I've really been following her, but mm-hmm. now it's kind of come full circle and I get to work at a company that she founded. Um, and so definitely I, I fangled when we talked, but um, I was like, I've been watching your videos for like a long time. I didn't know you had this brand, but I'm super excited and like really believe in the in what you guys are trying to do here. Um, and I thought the products were really straightforward. like. Um, there's nothing complicated about this company or this brand Mm. and I felt like because she had such a strong following um, that you know naturally translated into us having a pretty strong like core customer base of her followers right Um, and since then it's been uh, a big journey of kind of evolving as a brand of not just being Leah used brand like people like myself Mm -hmm. would hear the brand and hear Leah and know it from Mia but now I think we're starting to see people who know it just as a standalone like apart from her and that's been a big evolution oh um, yeah interesting yeah i think i've i've seen that i looked at the website and the youtube channel it really just shows that that's been a lot of thought and a lot of heart behind it so i think mm-hmm. that's probably why you've been seeing success there as well i'm curious yeah. to hear from your internship experiences i think you mentioned it was doing more on community management and then mm-hmm. your full-time role was more on the operations side so how mm-hmm. was that experience like as an intern and then transitioning to, it seems like, what is a different function for your full-time yeah. job? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think at Crave, like we started off so small. It was literally just like myself, two full-time people, another intern, mm-hmm. and then Leah, who was going between like the US team and the, the Korea team. And so it was really small. And I essentially was just helping with customer support, coming in like part-time during you know, my internship and answering customer service emails, like helping our creative and marketing people ideate ideas for content on our social media platform. So um, it was a pretty relaxed, I would say, environment. Um, Mm -hmm. I got to get exposure to how, you know, other functions think, what their priorities are. And uh, I didn't have like a specific journey in mind or specific role in mind coming on full-time as a community management person but I just knew like the community and like customers were so important to making a brand um, you know a brand and and taking it to the next level and so that was like my kind of argument for why I should come on um, as full-time and I guess Leah saw that potential as well and she really loves uh, her community too and wanted to go that out for Crave Beauty. But then 
um, you know, the more I thought about and was sitting on my desk thinking about like, okay, what does community management look like here? Mm. Like, does that mean like we have to put on events? Does that mean doing something on our social media to like foster that community? Um, and I kept coming back to this, this insight, I guess, or this pain point that when I first joined as an intern, there was this product launch we did and we had a lot of complaints from customers because our uh warehouse was backed up like two weeks they weren't prepared to meet the demand yeah and so like no one really been thinking about that aspect of the business here um and you know it it was still really small at the time but i knew we had a launch coming up in october um and that's something i kept thinking about like how are they going to manage then like are we going to be okay and customer satisfaction is such a big part of building a strong base of building a strong community and I was like, hmm, if we don't even have like that kind of locked and loaded, ready to go, I, I am concerned. So I brought these up, these insights up to my team and Leah, you know, with data to back it up. Like, you know, back in February, we were seeing two week delays. You know, this was the average mm. cycle time for an order. Uh, let's, this is an issue. How can we fix it? Um, and I didn't have all those answers at the time, um, not even being, uh, uh, you know, a professional in operations. So. I was just like, I think this is something we can work on and let's let's bring on experts to help us, you know, address oh. this problem. And so that was kind of my intuition about operations. I just knew that this is something we had to focus on. And then from there, you know, we brought on um, an ex- uh, a director and then from then I kind of expressed my interest in continuing to, to make things better at, you know, Crave Beauty operationally. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then the opportunity came along where they were like, okay, we think you can go, you know, the brand strategy route where you can help us uh, think a little bit more strategically in terms of direction, in terms of initiatives, uh, in terms of communication, um, or we think you can go the operations route. And I kind of had my pick, which is pretty unique. Um, and I just thought, you know, there's a little bit more um, that I can learn here under the new director. So I could have a little bit more guidance and I chose to go the operations route and that's what I've been doing. Cool. Yeah. So it's, it sounded like you are very proactive in, in I guess, identifying <laughs> issues and problems and solving them, right? Because you mentioned you didn't really have a, a full understanding of the solution that you were seeing with you know, yeah. the cycle time and the delays, but you were the one who mm-hmm. brought up the recommendation that this was a gap and you managed to even hire someone who had experience, mm-hmm. but also join and help out with that solutioning as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking back, I think it was it, like, it's easy to paint like a narrative, like a clear narrative now. But at the time, you know, when I first started as that community management person, I was definitely, you know, there were a lot of question marks in my mind. Like, mm. oh my God, I joined full time, but uh, what am I doing here? <laughs> That's kind of the the sense that I had. And I really, really wanted to, figure that out for myself because I knew that being a startup, there wasn't really anyone to think of that Mm -hmm. for me. So I had to think of it for myself if I wanted to be successful here. And um, thankfully that definitely managed to happen. So um, I'm a big believer that people can pave, you know, their own paths and they don't have to do just what is asked of them, but they can do more and that'll get them a lot farther than just, you know, doing what you're asked of. Yeah, so how was that learning process like, um, especially around the operations piece, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned that was someone hired who had some experience. Was that how you mm-hmm. learned most of your operational know-how now? Or was it a lot of you know, self, self-taught stuff online? Mm, it was definitely um, in the beginning, more so getting that guidance from this new person uh, coming in. You know, a big part of even just knowing how to do this work is learning mm-hmm. like tools. So like, Excel or Google Sheets. So there was a lot of uh, emphasis on learning those things in the beginning. Um, so he was very helpful with that. And, you know, I, I joined as an operations associate like in January and we all got shut down and worked from home starting March. Yeah. So most of that relationship building and like even skill building was done virtually. Uh, so I think that is something that can't be, you know, discounted. It's like that was a pretty difficult aspect to just communicate over you know, over Google Meet or just even on an Excel sheet, um, like this is how you're supposed to do it. But um, definitely he put in a lot of time to help me build out best practices. Mm -hmm. And that's something um, 
I probably could have done online, but it's, it's, there's never going to be a video online that tells you how to apply the formulas or the know-how to your direct work, right? And so I, I think what was good about him teaching me and like actually applying the, the knowledge while we're doing our work was good because then I knew how to, how to get better at it with my own work instead of just watching YouTube tutorials and like practicing on the side, I was getting real application to it in real time. Um, but definitely, you know, he was busy, he was a director level and going between, you know, Korea and here. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the times it was kind of just trial by fire. <laughs> so, you know, learning <laughs> and there was, um, I, I got kind of looped into our supply chain a little bit more upstream. So meaning like production and, you know, freight oh, flowing wow. from Korea to the US. And for that, there's a lot of document transfers that need to be done, a lot of like acronyms and like uh, legal stuff that I, I had to learn. So that was definitely more through YouTube tutorials. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's stuff that you you definitely can learn. And I, I've learned a lot on the job. So yeah, it sounds like you've experienced a lot. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what, I guess, traits or skill sets do you think makes a good operations associate? Mm. Yeah, I mean, operations just generally can mean different things based on the company you work at. So, mm -hmm. you know, example for us at Crave Beauty, we're essentially like a manufacturing company, right? We sell products to, mm -hmm. to people um, and there's a lot of movement of goods. So operations in a place like Crave Beauty can mean anywhere from logistics to the broader supply chain to just making sure that we're doing things the most efficiently and reducing waste. Um, and so for uh, maybe another company that's more tech focused, it can mean like improving processes or workflows between team members or, or things like that, or finding quicker ways for us to get mm -hmm. to product, get to market, uh, stuff like that. So while it can mean a lot of different things, I'd say the main skill set that would help you be successful is being a critical thinker. Mm -hmm. um, because you're the one, you know, actually executing. But I would say if you want to um, make a big impact, you definitely have to be thinking about like, is this the best way? Can we do it another way? Um, thinking about how all of these different pieces of the puzzle fit together. Mm -hmm. And you're the one um, that you though you're the one that can have impact on rearranging them. So I think critical thinking is a big factor in this in this kind of position. Um, another one would be uh, structured thinking. Um, okay. So have, like knowing, you know, what are all the different pieces of this puzzle? How do they come together? And how do you achieve like the output, right? So whether it's like materials coming in, ideas, people, and it's kind of like this black box to, to people on the outside, but like all of that has to be transformed and, and you have to create a product or service. And from, to get from, you know, those quote unquote raw materials to the end output, um, there's a lot of different steps, mm -hmm. processes and systems that they have to go through to be transformed. So I'd say um, being able to be in control of those things um, uh, is important as an operations um, professional. So. Um, having like clear logic, um, being able to think through problems and get to like root cause of issues and solve them for next time is also a really important skill set um, in operations. And like in terms of technical uh, skills, I'd say, you know, at a basic level, just Google Sheets, Excel, <laughs> <laughs> knowing those platforms and um, probably, you know, depending on the, the company or the industry, probably like SQL, Python, uh, data visualization tools, like those are um, things that you should have in your tool belt. Um, but yeah, those are, I would say those are the top things. Yeah, I'm curious to hear. So, you know, given your background with history and politics, did, yes. did you see some of your experience there help you develop those critical thinking skills and structured thinking? Yeah, I mean, it's not something I actively think about like yes this definitely translates like where I learned this in class kind <laughs> of thing but um you know with history and more so with history I would say and definitely with politics you're creating a narrative 
yeah. you know like there's nothing objective about like writing or retelling history even with politics it's all based on um you know the the facts you want to pull together or the people you talk to and that definitely forms a certain you know picture mm-hmm. um so in order to be a good historian or you know be a good student of history or politics like you have to analyze all of these different narratives like which one is really true which one has the most you know weight or legitimacy um and like critical thinking plays a big part in that what are the sources that were used like um you know what is the lens of the person writing or retelling this story and in order to create your own picture you have to and we did do this you know writing papers and you know analyzing uh historical situations mm-hmm. You just have to do it yourself at that point. And I think that doing it yourself and putting together a good picture um, with a critical eye is something that was a skill that I learned as a history and politics major that uh, translated pretty well into operations, it's funny enough. Like you just have to be that critical thinker and, and keep asking like, is this the best picture that we can paint? Um, and if not, how can we change it? You know, what are the, the sources we have to like take in or take out? Are the arguments I'm making, do they have a real basis? Like, um, so it's not directly applicable, but I think the, the thinking skills are something that are beneficial to, to any role, honestly, but especially with operations, I think um, that's pretty key. And obviously with, you know, more entry-level operations roles, it's pretty execution heavy, you know, so. Mm-hmm baseline skills that are important are like organization, being detail oriented. Um, so those things, you know, are important to have, but to think critically, I think definitely, you know, takes you to that next level. And that's something that I, I think I got from my majors personally. Yeah, uh, I'm also wanting to learn more about the beauty industry. I think for me, the first person <laughs> that comes to mind is Michelle Fan. Yeah, you know the OG. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so, I'm curious to hear uh, what what's the beauty industry like, and especially it sounds like Leah is also going mm-hmm. from like that YouTube route and then starting her own line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what I kind of didn't really realize about beauty industry before getting into it is that it's just mm. like any other industry. You know, it's it's a business, um, obviously, and um, the goals and um, yeah, the goals of the industry as a whole are pretty similar to any other. Um, it's just that you know we make products and we put out content out there that's pretty easily accessible. I'd say to the everyday person, you know, you can go into a Sephora, go into your CVS, and you know it's all cosmetics and um, it's almost it like it's in pretty closely related to like the consumer packaged goods right industry. So. There's nothing that special about it, I think is something that I didn't really know before getting into it. I was just thinking, oh, like I just know about law and I there's like the medical field and uh, finance. Um, so I just figured, like, oh, beauty, that sounds really cool and kind of niche. Um, but, and so like before um, I actually got this internship at Creative Beauty, I was like mm-hmm. trying to network with beauty professionals and just ask them like, hey, like, what's your day like? Like, are you just making products all day? Like, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> um, but um, that's definitely not it. And there's a lot of different people and, and functions in any beauty company, like operations, there's R&D, product development, marketing, finance, um, you know, so all of the supply chain people as well. So it's... Um, yeah, I think that that's kind of like the, the takeaway I have. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah. you can reach a lot of people. Uh, and I think it's a, a very alluring industry. Yeah. But, uh, for people like Leah, who've kind of transitioned from like that influencer to making a brand, actually, that's something that's been a big trend recently mm-hmm. yep. where uh, celebrities, uh, just influencers on YouTube or Instagram, like they build out their brands because they know that they already have that following. And it's really easy once you have that following to, you know, essentially promote and advertise your products to, you know, those same people. And 
you know, the, the more loyal and bigger your base, um, the better you will do. So celebrities like J-Lo, Selena Gomez, like Lady Gaga, they all came into the space, like mm-hmm. Pharrell recently. Um, and, and I don't think that that's something that's going to stop uh, just because, you know, cosmetics and sp- skincare especially has been so hot these last couple of years. Um, and I think pretty much the whole industry is um, like beauty industry in terms of the skincare aspect, like they've just grown exponentially. You know, people are staying at home. They want to take care of themselves. So um, yeah, we're, it's just on the up and up. And, um, you know, even men's skincare, I think there's a more focus on that. Um, body products, hair products. Um, it, it's just an industry that will continue to expand. Um, so I think it's a, a good time for anyone to kind of en- enter uh, if they're interested. Yeah, it's, it sounds like from my understanding of like the beauty industry, it's it's got so much competition, right? You have yes. like the big influencers, also the big mm-hmm. you know, right, actors or singers who have a lot more clout, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, how does one stand out, I guess, in the beauty industry? It seems like branding is definitely one huge aspect mm-hmm. in the marketing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at the end of the day, when it comes to like product development, is that that much variation? Because in my mind, it's like, how much mm. variation can you have for the product itself? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question just because, um, I mean, I, I personally am of the uh, mindset that it is mostly marketing, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> because, you know, skincare trends in terms of like ingredients or types of formulations mm-hmm. like there are there are trends you know one season it might be mugwort another might be like centella asiatica like these things that actually come from asia a lot of the time um but you know there's uh i i think it's another important thing on top of branding is just like now people are really thinking about values uh, I know that mm. internally at Creative Beauty, we talk a lot about, okay, like, where are we going, right? And who are we trying to, you know, get to? And we want to uh, think about, you know, the younger generations as well, now Gen Z. And I think the beauty industry as a whole has a real fixation on reaching those younger consumers. Um, so mm. knowing there's a lot of industry research out there that, you know, says, you know, Gen Z consumers are really values-driven. They want to pay they want to give their money to companies that they feel like are aligned with theirs. So whether that's, you know, eco-consciousness or um, just so standing up for social issues and social and, you know, that kind of values-driven mindset uh, is something that they've identified in the consumers that they want to reach. Mm-hmm. And so they're definitely molding themselves to be more attractive to those people. Um, so make no mistake, that is definitely like an intentional move. And uh, I think we'll continue to see brands that take really strong stances or have a very strong brand personality um, mm. and, and talk about things that are important to their customers to have that synergy. Um, and so I think that's a really easy way to stand out, you know, um, just to like talk about some brands out there. There's like youth to the people that's very outspoken. And I think they have a lot of traction and love from their community because of that. Um, and you know, in terms of like new brands entering, I think that's an easy way to differentiate differentiate yourselves. Like, you know, we give back to the community or like we have these funds to promote diversity and inclusion and in the beauty industry, like stuff like that um, stands out more than just, we have a really great product and, you know, that's, that's what we're leading with and that's all. I think it takes a little bit more than that to stand out now. Okay, so I guess the, the next question I have is, you know, given that you've already had some working experience, I think close to two years now, kind of where where do you see yourself? Do you do you see yourself being in the beauty industry? I think it would be easy to say in beauty uh, is kind of the conclusion I'm coming to a little bit more. Um, easy meaning that there is more of a clear path. Like I can say in beauty and continue doing operations. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been promoted to senior associate here. And so, you know, in that same trajectory, like after this, if I want to, you know, be in management, be that manager and then, you know, senior manager, director, VP, like it's a pretty easy progression to see. But um, Mm -hmm. I found that I think 
the work becomes pretty repetitive. Like no matter which company you go to, it's gonna be the same work. Um, it's gonna be similar issues that you're tackling, maybe slightly different, you know, based on what their supply chain looks like or what their business model is like, right? Um, but essentially the core work is the same and I would just be getting better and better and better here. But uh, I'm a little bored <laughs> by that prospect, to be honest. So I'm not sure I would mm. wanna stay in beauty. Um, it's just one industry out of so many. And I'm definitely interested in exploring um, other fields. Um, there's operations work to be done everywhere. So I think there's a lot of flexibility yeah. for me in that way. Um, some industries that you know have been interesting to me recently are like tech, specifically health tech. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think there's really big disruption coming uh, in that field. Um, because it's so outdated, at least in the US. And so there's a lot of really great thinkers who are looking for ways to really upend how we think about healthcare and deliver that to people. And that's really interesting to me. Um, so yeah, I can't say you know how much longer I'll be in beauty, um, but I guess I'm interested in seeing like where I'll take myself or like you know what, what the next <laughs> few years will look like, like which, which industry will I be in? Um, I, I see no linear path to progress and mm -hmm. um, and career advancement. So, you know, I think, and, and maybe this is like a very millennial, like Gen Z way of thinking, but like, I want to jump around. I want to get my feet wet in a lot of different yeah. areas. Um, so that's probably what I'll do. Yeah. Yeah, I guess this kind of ties back to your, your earlier point about you knowing that law wasn't something you wanted to mm -hmm. pursue. Uh, was that also for the same reasons? Because with law, you saw a, a large time investment and that wouldn't give you the opportunity mm. to really explore? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like what I thought law school, like, oh my God, three years, just like a black hole of school and that's it. Um, but more than that, I'd say it was just based on just intuition. Um, like I, I realized I didn't know why I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't know anything about the lifestyle. Mm. Um, and I, I kept having this like feeling of like, oh my God, like once I become a lawyer, like, am I, like, is the work even something that I would be interested in? Like, yeah. I don't know, like there's so many types of law. I don't know which one is interesting or, you know, practically, which is the best option for me. Um, and so there were a lot of questions that I hadn't even answered or asked of myself um, before I thought like I should be a lawyer. And so I just thought I should um, slow mm. down and not go straight into it. I'm still open to actually thinking about it. And um, I have a few friends mm. who, you know, fit the bullet and went straight to law school after, but uh, it's a pretty intense field. I think um, the personality types of the people who go into law are very intense. Um, I, perhaps they're even like pessimistic in a way. Uh, and law in, as a, industry yeah i mean you can definitely um not agree with me here but a lot of the industry i think is pretty old um in that there's not a lot of change mm -hmm. um it's pretty rigid you know it's, it's law like what's on the books is what you have to advise your clients on and stick with and so that didn't really appeal to me and i guess that's why i look to beauty because things are always changing um there are new products coming out new trends new things that you know consumers want from companies. Um, and so that was more exciting to me than law, but um, I think I still have uh, a real desire to help people and think critically about, mm -hmm. you know, the way that our society functions, like, is that the way it should be? And I don't know if I have to be a lawyer to make an impact there, right? Uh, but that is one way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, it's, it's always hard to really know what's it like to do it. I think when I was younger and I, I, I also wanted to be a lawyer when I was really young because yeah. I thought it'd be cool. It's like <laughs> what you see on the TV show. So like, objection. Yeah. <laughs> but I think real life law is not really. Your like honor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I tried to get that experience because I, I was like, I should validate, you know, what I think is law. So I, yeah. I did an internship at the district attorney's office, uh, the Manhattan DA. And essentially like uh, the public prosecutors. So any crime um, like they prosecute, uh, that's essentially like their job, it's in criminal law. And uh, definitely my perspective 
on the legal field was shaped pretty heavily by that experience, which is why I'm saying like, I feel like they're pretty intense, pretty pessimistic because they're seeing so much of like the day-to-day crime. Like I remember watching yeah. a lot of surveillance videos. Um, we're trying to like nail down where potential perpetrators were at, like at this time or at this location. Um, and, you know, there'd be cases about murder and sexual harassment. And so I think it takes a certain kind of person to deal with that work day in and day out. Um, and definitely I, I realized that field was not for me. <laughs> like the building was super yeah. dreary and like, it's like public, it's like public <laughs> field. Right. Um, so there wasn't a lot of like budget. It felt like um, it definitely was a real contrast to what I thought uh, lawyers did, which is like my idea of corporate law. You know, you're in a shiny office, you have a lot mm. of money, you're on call all the time. Um, so that was, it was a good experience in in knowing like, oh, it can be really different based on what field of law I go into. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. It's just like law is so broad, mm-hmm. like a, a public prosecutor versus a corporate yeah. lawyer versus a defense lawyer has very different experiences. Yeah. So I was like, not, um, this is not for me. <laughs> but... Did you consider the corporate lawyer part? Is that was your initial impression of what maybe law? Yeah, would be? I, I mean, actually, I was more interested in uh, public interest law, so civil, civil law, even constitutional mm-hmm. law. So I took some classes um, in undergrad related to those things, but they were definitely more, more of like a political angle on law. So thinking about like. Oh. the legal ramifications or societal ramifications of you know certain policies or laws um, so it wasn't like straight law but I remember in my constitutional law class our professor was a uh, lawyer previously he'd been like a corporate lawyer who mm-hmm. turned into like a businessman turned like part-time professor and he would tell us like listen if you want to do corporate law you have to like really reconsider that <laughs> unless you have like <laughs> unless you have you're going to have zero to no debt and that lifestyle is just something sustainable for you um and i've heard that so many times like you know really famous people who were previously lawyers and you know people who got out of that field like i've met more than a handful of people who've like escaped that world and they're like it's it's crazy and you know not many people can do it um so I was just like, maybe I should listen to all these people oh. and not go that route. Um, so, so well, why did they say having zero to no debt then? Debt, as in like you're you're going to law school and you know racking up all this debt, and a lot of the times the only ways to get out of that debt, people go to corporate law to pay it off. Um, ah, I see. Yeah, I see. So he was saying like, if you're not tied to paying off your debt, and that's the reason why you're going into corporate law. Like don't like don't even do it unless this is something you really want outside <laughs> of just paying off you know your your dues. Interesting. So it's kind of like yeah, selling selling your soul to do corporate law for a while to pay off what you did. <laughs> Essentially, and I know you know that is something people do, and then they pivot into different areas of law. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed kind of counterintuitive. Like, why well, go to school? Uh, rack up debt to like make my life hell to pay it off um so i was like no i don't think i thought this through bro let me let me go how, back how much is typically like law school mm-hmm. i i have no clue so i'm curious to hear because i know college is really expensive enough how much is law school <laughs> yeah I, I did like just quick math i think per year at least for nyu law it looked like 90k I'm not okay. sure if that was just tuition yeah. or like with everything, but that was like just the number I remember. 90K times three. That's it's insane. Like enough. Pretty, yeah, everything pretty add up is probably be half a million. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. yeah and you, and you, you said law school is three, three years yeah. or four? Three, three years? Three, three years. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's still bad enough. That's still almost generated. If that's just tuition. Uh, yeah, alone, exactly. It's probably even more. Oh, like, wow. mm, okay. I'm not sure um, and I know you know a lot of people do go into law school right after college um, and I think mm-hmm. probably half or more than half of them do that because they don't know what they really want to do um, but it's a safe quote-unquote mm-hmm. safe option as in like the steps are like really clearly laid out for you you go to school you get a job and you're just like a lawyer um, so I think that is definitely attractive um, 
and the three years is like short enough to be not a super long commitment whereas like uh where is it uh, dental or even med school is like more than that right you have to do your residency if you want to specialize there's like yep. all these other stuff so that's way longer you know but, but law school is like eh, three years some debt i can do it i think that's kind of the mindset <laughs> oh, i guess that makes sense yeah it's uh, compared to you know being a doctor <laughs> that takes exactly. way longer <laughs> no i never even considered that <laughs> i've never <laughs> uh, but yeah so i guess outside of your work uh what what kind of mm-hmm. things do you do for fun or hobbies or interests hobbies or interests yeah so i like to read um been like a pretty avid reader since i was young uh, so that's something that mm-hmm. uh, i like to do in my downtime i like to you know watch stand-up comedy online or, or go to the actual shows um yeah i think you know those are probably like my main things i like to do when i have free time or mm-hmm. yeah i guess it's hard because and something that i feel a little, little bit like insecure about is i don't have like a really specific hobby like i'm not super into like soccer mm-hmm. or um i don't know i'm not like a writer or things like that but i'm still trying to figure that one out yeah, it, I guess for reading, are you more of a nonfiction or a fiction reader? I definitely have have been reading a lot more nonfiction. Um, I think it's just easier to find mm-hmm. books that I can read because fiction, like, there's so many options. Like, I don't know which one I'll like. Yeah, it's way too yeah, many genres. Like, oh my god! <laughs> like, if I pick this one up, then I'm like, I don't know what to read next, or I don't even know how to discern like which is going to be interesting or not. But with nonfiction, like there are clearly topics that I'm curious about and uh, can learn more about. So it's like super easy to just go and pick something up about like, I don't know, an election or, um, you know, something like that. So that's what I like to do. Gotcha. So is your nonfiction readings more about history, current events, yeah, politics? Yeah, right. yeah definitely. Huh. Yeah, because I, have, I haven't read too much about like history mm-hmm. in terms of like a full history book i usually just watch <laughs> videos <laughs> and scan wikipedia yeah <laughs> um so i'm curious like what what kind of i guess history books would you recommend like a newbie to a read newbie. i mean i guess that if you want to like start reading about history like it's good to narrow down like at least uh specific things in history like historical events that you're interested Mm -hmm. in like it can be pretty broad even like oh i'm interested in learning about world war one or i'm interested in learning about um i don't know like the financial crisis in 2008 like so just picking like Mm -hmm. real big categories like that and there are so many different angles and perspectives that you can find within uh, that area of knowledge um and I was particularly interested in college in um, like post-Civil War. It's called like the antebellum period. So um, okay. like from there until more like the modern history. So reading about Jim Crow was really fascinating. Um, like the segregation laws in the American South and, and the mm-hmm. effect and how they, they came even to be. So those kinds of topics were really fascinating for me. Um, I went to Berlin for a semester and uh, there was like so much history there that I hadn't been exposed to as like an American student of history. Uh, mm-hmm. So learning about like just like East versus West Germany and all of that. Um, and even learning to go like a little bit farther back about World War II and what some historians like consider to be a more accurate picture of what the war was fought yep. about. So I learned some pretty crazy things. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, when at least in the American education system, like what you get in high school or middle school is a very like watered down version of an event. Mm. Uh, And what I really like about reading nonfiction history stuff after college and in college was that you just go so much deeper and um, it's not kid stuff anymore. You know, like this has real life impact. (laughs) And um, I guess I really enjoy just like learning. And that's something that I wanted from law school is like to just keep learning in that Mm. intellectual like academic way but i think 
do that by just picking up a book, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that, that gives me that satisfaction. Yeah, because I, I don't think there's a there's a sad saying like you know history is written by the winners. Mm-hmm. Some uh, I like have you read I guess around one specific event? I think you mentioned also with World War Two. It was like stuff that mm-hmm. was like mind blowing. I didn't expect because oh, yeah. I I feel like different people writing different mm-hmm. even the same historical event can have vastly different yeah. views. Do you have like one example based on stuff you've read before that kind of shocked you? But like oh I didn't think about it that way. About, yeah. like, one of these events yeah i mean like for there was this book that i especially was like totally mind blown by it's called bloodland by timothy snyder he's a pretty well-established historian okay. um and he was writing about world war ii but when i learned world war ii in high school um or even college it was very much like oh you know the germans <laughs> and the nazis against the allies forces mm-hmm. you know western world and all of that but um, you don't really get a sense of the conflict that was happening between like Russia and Germany. And he wrote pretty extensively oh. about that part. Um, like out of all of the allied forces, you know, that include Russia, the US, and, like the UK, France, um, like Russia was the front line essentially. And they lost so many people. Like we're talking millions of lives, um, not just from fighting, mm. you know, but uh, just like the... Um, human toll on like the the toll that the war took like people starved and this is getting like really dark so um (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that was Uh something that he talked pretty extensively about and he just talked about their that the germans like campaign against the eastern front so like what they were planning to do um in terms of like expanding their global presence like they wanted to really uh like put a lot of pressure on ukraine and um essentially exploit their natural resources for food for their own people but it had a really Mm -hmm. big impact um fatal impact on ukrainians and people in russia and they essentially were trying to like starve them out that was their strategy and i'd never learned that about world war ii yeah and like what the germans like real goal was in achieving like um i guess supremacy um so pretty pretty fascinating and yeah, pretty dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark. <laughs> it sounds like the 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 pessimist of a lawyer. <laughs> yes. So I guess I do have that, and it, it's like it's funny to talk about this now in this podcast because I've never really spoken about this kind of stuff like outside of you know my friends in classes or you know people mm-hmm. who are similarly interested in it. I just feel like it's kind of intense to bring up in just like a casual you know get to know me coffee chat. So. <laughs> no, I, I think I think this this links to my next question. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Is yeah. that you know people say you want to learn from history, and that's why mm-hmm. you know we learn from past wars, past mistakes. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to hear your perspective. Uh, having read history quite extensively, mm-hmm. how do you think? I, I guess us like you know as a society or as a millennial, how do you think things will look like in the future history that has yet to come? Mm. I mean, I I think we're at a pretty, and I'm sure everyone at every point in history thought we were at like a pivotal point, (laughs) but um, (laughs) definitely uh, I've been pretty concerned. Um, And and I think this reflects more of like the whole generation's like feeling about the future. We're called like doomers. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of different things that are seemingly, but problems that are seemingly unsolvable, right? Um, like climate change, just like the way people talk to one another now, how information is circulated. Um, so there are a lot of like pressing issues and thinking about the future, it's kind of like how invested are we as a people, as a society mm-hmm. to making that future the best possible place? Because I don't think, you know, as just like naturally humans are geared to think that way, it's very short term. And you know what? A, what? How can yep. I make my life better now? Or I can make these fixes, but it, it's just like in the short term. Like you're not thinking about future generations or anything like that. And that's what got us into this mess. Um, so I think you know if we want to create a better version of for the people that will come after us, like it's going to take a lot of real hard questioning of like what is important to us, like what do we value as just people of this earth 
and that sounds like very idealistic um i understand so mm-hmm. i am kind of pessimistic about the future in that way i'm not sure we can ask those questions and you know get moving um just like as a whole to change the course of history i think this is for now at least what i'm seeing is just kind of the way forward and that people will continue to be thinking in the short term um and all of that but at least in the US like you know with Biden i think there's more thought towards you know creating long term solutions and addressing real issues but uh what's worrisome for me is that it can change like a flip of a coin based on who's president right and the worrying thing about yeah. that is like how far are you progressing if you keep having like that two steps forward three steps back and um i think the solution will be to bring people together more and this is why like i i'm so happy to be on this podcast and just like talking with other people um is because i think mm-hmm. that's the key like we've become really disconnected to others um in our community i think you know um and that is a really big weakness in modern society if we're so connected on social media and all of that but you're not really talking mm-hmm. to people outside of that um bubble and i think that is the key to moving us forward and creating a better future is knowing that we're all in this together um and I, the actual solution is kind of still <laughs> not formed yet but i i think it will have mm-hmm. to do with that um like bringing people together yeah i guess based on all your readings on on history what do you think are some of the greatest lessons that people should learn from past history Ooh. and and it, it, it's it's it can be very general cuz it could be history from you know you know like war it could be innovation etc but based on all your readings what do you think are some of the greatest lessons you've gleaned so far from all these readings from history hmm. uh the greatest lesson i think it's that progress is always happening um like even though personally i have a pretty pessimistic view and i think that that's part of like this generation's view of the future and the world now is that i think people just for better or for worse they keep going you know like there's no time when people give mm. up or stop innovating or stop thinking of better solutions um like there's never like there's always an out there's always a way to keep moving forward and um whether that is people and communities like rebuilding after natural disasters or you know after war or after economic crisis like people are pretty resilient and in a way have pretty short term memory um so i i do <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so people you know you might not take away all the most important lessons you should be but i also think that makes people uh continuously optimistic about the future and wanting to you know brainstorm with others and, and create solutions like um so that is a lesson i think uh i take away is that there's always progress happening whether you see it or not and it's the like mm. culmination of all of those efforts that create big change um so it's not it's not just like one person's action um it's it's a lot of people making you know those steady steady uh what is it actions to get to somewhere and something better um so for as much as you know i am that pessimist and like to think about all this stuff i, I am hopeful in that um in others um yeah mm. i i feel much more optimistic yeah I, i thought i just had to put that one in <laughs> you know uh and then based on on your own personal experiences so far mm-hmm. you know having worked uh for about 2 mm-hmm. years what advice would you give to what's after millennials gen z yes gen <laughs> the z. younger folk uh-huh um what what advice would you have someone who's i guess still in college or 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 just starting out mm, what advice would i have for them i something that i would say is really get to know yourself um and because when i graduated college it was very much like career focused like i need to do this and 
Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna just like move up and make a career and make money and like that was my thought process. Um, but I didn't really take a lot of time to like figure out what I liked or what I didn't like, um, just like as a person. Uh, so in a way, I think COVID has like made me do that a little bit more. But I wish I could tell myself mm-hmm. back in college, like think like slow down instead of like focusing just on your career or like these material things, like think more critically about your own life um, and are the decisions you're making, like are they really backed by something that you're wanting? Um, Yeah, so that is what I would tell people in college and just like that no one has life figured out. Like I talked to people my age, you know, 30, 40, my mom and, older and it all you know people are just people like there's no linear path to quote-unquote success or even life and so feeling like you don't have things figured out like that's normal that's part of it Uh, but something that will get you through is like that having a real strong sense of self and confidence and optimism for the future having good relationships um, and just knowing what you want I think that is what will make you happy Um, so yeah, I guess the uncertainty of like post-grad life is definitely pretty daunting and I've been through it and I'm still mm. going through it. And I think a lot of people can relate, but um, you know, you, you'll get through it. Like it's temporary. And um, I think once you rack up some of those years of experience, like in whatever you're doing, you'll definitely, it'll, mm. it'll be a good stepping stone, you know? And so that's really the point of being young and having entry-level job or, you're doing something that you you don't love in the beginning is that it'll you'll still get somewhere you know um so be optimistic have a strong, strong sense of self and um i guess surround yourself with people that you trust and can rely on is really important yeah no i think that's that's very good advice that i think a lot of the younger folks need to hear especially with social oh, media oh, where yeah. people are like oh you're, you're like 19 or 20 and you're like YouTube oh my famous gosh. and you're making it big. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, am I, why am I not there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it gets to everyone, right? Like I even ended up deleting my Instagram app because I just realized it's not healthy. And um, mm-hmm. like comparing yourself to where other people are at, like you don't know, you know, anything more than what they're posting. Um, and I'm sure if I went on to LinkedIn and was like, oh, I'm an operations associate in beauty, like, I got this and that and whatever. Like, I'm sure that would not make other people feel great about themselves, but they don't even know that I, mm. you know, had a lot of uncertainties and still do. So um, for the sake of just mental peace, <laughs> I, I, I try not to be on <laughs> too many social networks. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and I'm also wanting to know, you mentioned earlier, you know, one of the things you, you value and look for is being able to constantly mm-hmm. learn. Right. I think that's it was the drop like academia yeah, yeah. initially. So um, so what other things as you're going through this journey of discovery, which you're going through still mm-hmm. now, what are other new values or things that you've gleaned out in terms of things you want to focus on? Like personally or professionally? I would say personally or personally, personally. more so. Yeah, I mean these are these are hard questions, Andrew. Um I asked making me think really hard about this. Um, new values that I've kind of gleaned from just like being uh, or wanting to learn. Yeah, I mean, uh, is that empathy towards other people is really important. Uh, for me personally and and I think this benefits you know people and society as a whole is just really truly caring about you know others even if they have no direct impact on your life or you know they're a thousand miles away or what have you Um, but I think that is what makes people people um, and not just animals Um, and empathy for people and the way that they move throughout the world and like have impact on their surroundings so um Mm -hmm. like it's all connected you know I think it's so easy when you're thinking just professionally which a lot of 
times Asian professionals are kind of doing is like, like yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I work in this corporate job, I have this like cushy apartment, but like the world is so much bigger than that. And I think the older I get, the more I realize that career advancement is not the only important thing, but it's like caring about mm-hmm. your community, caring about the, the direction of the world and our climate is really um, something we should all be taking a little bit more stock in and feeling like we have a real stake in because uh, like it, it's, it's much bigger than us. Um, that's the value that I've been finding and uh, I think that's what keeps me optimistic at the end of the day is even though there's all mm-hmm. this like doom and whatever that we might be facing and feeling um, at the end of the day uh, like we're all people and, and it, it's so hard to articulate but you know all of your your personal achievements and your you know career advancements like that kind of goes away when you're gone right but um Mm. your impact on other people your relationships or your contributions to others or the world it's more lasting and that's something that I hope to keep focusing on and uh like honing more on and I and I hope others do too is like what can I do outside of myself um and, and be that a little bit more selfless and uh be an open student to learning about things outside of yourself that's pretty important yeah no i agree i think if if everyone was a bit more empathetic a lot of the issues we have now would happen (laughs) (laughs) ever seeing in society yeah Uh, we have more more long-term yeah uh thinking right if we're more empathetic say about the future generations then maybe we won't you know have overconsumption and then having too much uh, fossil fuels burning and having now environmental issues that seem to yeah. be coming up that people have been sounding in the long exactly for a while. <laughs> exactly um and another value um i guess i'm having a hard time like thinking of that but uh, andrew if i can ask you you know conversely that question like what would you say yeah i think for me it's just it's kind of linked to empathy. It's just having genuine connections with mm-hmm. people. Uh, for me, I, I realized that when, you know, both parties come to the table with openness and are willing to just chat, mm-hmm. even if you have differing opinions, mm-hmm. if you come in with that kind of mindset, mm-hmm. you, you'll be able to realize you're not that different mm-hmm. from that person sitting across mm-hmm. the table. You, you might still disagree at the end, right, on some mm-hmm. of the things that you guys talk about. But, having that openness will end up developing i guess mm-hmm. respect for other people and then when that happens you're you're less likely to just dissuade them as like oh just someone mm-hmm. else right you start mm-hmm. to see them as someone yet your actions or your words might have an impact on yeah. and i think that's that's a value that i i want to continue building that's why i do this podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah definitely these type of conversations it's i mean it's really small but mm-hmm. uh it's it's something that i do enjoy yeah. And, you know, for another value, if I can add, is just like, like uh, joy, I guess, like cultivating that actively mm-hmm. um, is something that I found that I didn't value before, but I do more now is like, how can I create that happiness for myself? Like, what makes me happy or what boosts my mood and really seeking those things out to build myself up actively um, is a real like pursuit, I think, of self-love as corny as that sounds like mm-hmm. um how can you you know fill and, and have genuine connections with others if you don't have it with yourself so sounds kind of like hippy dippy but uh you know i think we all need some of that you know joy in our lives and for me <laughs> to kind of connect it back to my other you know hobby quote unquote is like like watching stand up like it's such a uh, funny thing because they're essentially like making you laugh like that's their job and you know it is and mm-hmm. you're like sitting there laughing at their joke but um, yeah just I think you know life is not that complicated and um, like finding ways to to find humor in situations um, is a really strong trait that will like keep you going um, so yeah I, I also find a lot of uh, importance in just laughter and being happy uh, and taking things not so seriously yeah yeah 
Yeah, laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, <laughs> this is like a chicken soup for the soul kind of session, but um, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I really enjoyed our conversation. I think there's a lot of things listeners can glean from today's episode. Um, not only on understanding what's talking about the beauty industry mm-hmm. and, and operations, but then also understanding how history played a role and and the lessons that we learned from that. So I I really appreciate you hopping on today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of As Asians. I have been your host, Andrew Tan, and I hope you learned something from today's episode. If you or someone you know would like to be part of the show, please contact us at asasianspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a like, or a review on your preferred podcast platform. And I hope you had an amazing time with us today.